Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the takeout ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent... Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. This week's guest needs no introduction. Adam Kinzinger, former member of Congress, former congressman from Illinois. He now lives in Texas, coming to us from his home via Zoom in the woodlands just north of Houston. Adam, it's good to see you. Oh, it's great to see you. It's good to be with you. And it's, uh, I don't know, I haven't seen you in a while. Like back last time, we were probably in the middle of the January 6th stuff. Indeed. The last time you were on this program was just a couple of weeks removed from January 6th. You have a new book out called Renegade, which talks a great deal about your career before you got into Congress life as an aspiring political figure. Then a good deal of information pre-January 6th, pre-Trump about the Tea Party and Republicanism, then Republicanism. Now we'll get into some of that. I want to ask you some things right off the top, Adam, that are more driven by kind of news of the day headlines. So uh, Liz Cheney has a book. I'm sure you've heard about it, seen some of the interviews. She said to the Washington Post earlier this week, she is considering a possible run for the presidency. Do you think that's a good idea? Would you be supportive? I mean, I, it's it's tough. Like, I think the number one thing on on the the ballot in 2024 is democracy. I mean, that's it. Like, we can we can argue different issues. You know, we've argued taxes for our whole life. We've argued abortion, guns, everything. But this is like the year where if we don't get this right, I mean, truly democracy is a threat. And maybe it doesn't go away, but it will always be damaged. 
So for her, I mean, if if a run as an independent for Liz Cheney damages Donald Trump, then I think it's smart. Go for it, right? It's a it's a good. I would love to be in any other environment where a, a true conservative party could make a run. The only concern I have, and this is with any third party attempt, is you know, are you going to just take away from Joe Biden? Are you going to give you know people like me who you know I'm still pretty much I'm center right, you know, an, an opportunity to vote for anybody but Joe Biden. And if that's the case, that's actually very much to the benefit of, of uh, Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is, I'm sure you're aware, I was trying to imply, is the big threat to the country in 2024. Any doubt in your mind, Adam Kinzinger, that Trump will be the Republican nominee? I guess I have a little doubt. And it's only because, you know, everything's unprecedented now. Like we're always like breaking new grounds and new barriers. But you know, he does. It, it's there's a good chance he does go to trial in the spring. And if that happens and now all this information, Mark Meadows, by the way, who barely cooperated with the January 6th committee, was actually our most valuable player. The little bit he provided to us is the thing that set out the whole roadmap for you know all of January 6th and all the involvement of Trump. Now he's cooperating. So there could be a lot more information that we don't know. So I I will hold back and say in that case, it's possible. But if I had if I was betting Vegas odds right now, I would put all my money on, you know, Donald Trump will be the nominee. And as Chris Christie often says, he may very well not even be able to vote for himself come election day. Let's just play that out, Adam Kingsinger. Let's say that what you disclosed or hinted at happens. Mark Meadows is an explosive witness, and lots of things are revealed in March, April, and May. But by then, Trump's already won the first three. He's rolled through Super Tuesday and is the presumptive nominee. There would have to be some apparatus to take that presumptive nominee status away from him and a convention to then ratify the taking away of that presumptive nominee status. What on earth does that look like? Well, since we're playing best case scenario games here, I would say, uh, you know, I could see, and again, I'm not predicting it, but I could see where, let's say he wins the first number of states. You still have kind of holding back to like May and June. There's still a number of states probably that could allow somebody else to come in and clinch that nomination. Um, so that's possibility. Otherwise, if it's so egregious, if it's so bad that even Rana Romney, Romney McDaniel can't even pretend, you know, that this isn't bad, then you can take that nomination away from him at a convention. But let's again, let's let's be clear, you know, short of some kind something coming out of a trial that hasn't. So I mean, we had January 6th and it didn't turn people's minds. Uh, that's why I think it's probably very likely going to be Donald Trump. But I think we have to keep holding out hope and and not naive hope, but continue to fight for that. It's somebody else. Cause I think this, look, this country needs two strong pro-constitutional parties. And right now it only has one. If it's Trump and Biden, do you vote for Joe Biden? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's not even, I don't even have to hesitate. Look, there's, you know, do I agree with everything Joe Biden's doing? No, of course not. And, you know, he's a Democrat. I'm, I'm an old school Republican. I'll say, but I believe he's a good man and I believe he's focused on the Constitution. You know, I believe he's he's not looking for reasons to violate the Constitution like Donald Trump is. So, yeah, I mean, to me, it wouldn't even be a, I wouldn't hesitate at all. On the day we were recording this, December 5th, moments ago, Patrick McHenry from North Carolina, someone who I believe you know somewhat well, announced he will not seek reelection. Your thoughts? 
Yeah, and I think we're going to see more of this. Uh, so Patrick McHenry actually, I'd say probably my third year in Congress, I was in Congress for 12 years. My third year, I remember telling somebody like, Patrick McHenry is going to be speaker someday. I didn't know he ended up being speaker pro tem for like three weeks, but, you know, because he just, he had that ability. He was very conservative, but he could reach kind of across the ideological spectrum of the GOP, but he was a good man. He is a good man, but he was a good legislator. And, and he was somebody that understood the reality of how to legislate. So this is, this bodes poorly for the institution because what happens is, as you know very well, good people leave. And unfortunately, they're not being replaced by good people. They're being replaced by people that see politics as a way to become famous. Fame is a new currency. Uh, and so, you know, North Carolina has a tendency to be a bit of a crazy state sometimes in the Republican Party. So I, I think the institution is going to suffer for this. But I do not blame him an ounce. In fact, just before we came on the air, I sent him a text and said, I hope you feel as happy as I did when I made the announcement. Congressman Henry released a statement in which he said, quote, a great deal of hand-wringing and ink have been spilled about the future of this institution because some, like me, have decided to leave. Those concerns are exaggerated. I truly feel this institution is on the verge of the next great turn. He may be right. It may be a great turn, <laughs> but I wonder if you think it's a positive turn. Well, no. And I, I think, you know, look, Patrick is an institutionalist. And so I think he needed to put out a statement like that because we've got to, no matter how bad it gets, we have to continue to try to defend. I mean, Congress still, even as bad as it is at the moment, it is still a magical institution and something that, you know, a bunch of people came up with one day. And to this point, it's worked. So I, I think he's saying the right thing. And again, Major, I, I am long optimistic in America. I really am. Like I, long term, I think America is going to come back from this moment. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing any of this. I'd just, you know, be sitting by the pool. But I think we're going to come back stronger in the long term. So maybe there will be like a great turn in the in the house. It's just not going to be. It's not now, and it's probably not going to be in the next two or four years, unfortunately. You have described yourself within the last month as a Republican, but a homeless Republican. Is that how you still describe yourself? Or are you no longer a Republican? I consider myself, I guess I'll just say generally politically homeless. Like I obviously do not agree with what the Republican Party is pushing. The only reason I'm not giving up the title is I refuse to let the the anti-constitutionalist side win. You know, have I... Have I changed in the last 12 years? A little bit. You know, I've grown up. I've moderated on some issues, which happens with age and experience and time. But generally, the same person, the same things I believe now would be recognizable to me of 12, 13 years ago. The party changed. And we need people. Like It, it would be much easier to just drop the title Republican and say, I'm a Democrat now or I'm an independent. But we've got to have people willing to stay and fight for the soul of the GOP. Every country, every democracy in my mind needs a, a liberal or a progressive movement and a conservative movement because that, that kind of like tug and pull, that push and pull is what actually makes a country advance at the right speed, uh, not always perfectly. And so I'll continue to fight for the GOP, but that doesn't mean I'm voting GOP because I'm not because they are an anti-constitutionalist party at the moment. That is the voice of Adam Kinzinger, his book, Renegade, segment two of The Takeout, coming your way in just one second. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. 
It's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores, including Doc Martens, Ninja Kitchen, and Hotels.com. Prep for summer and save big on beauty, travel, electronics, and more. It's one of Rakuten's biggest cashback events, and it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Adam Kinzinger is our special guest. Welcome back to us here on The Takeout. So you talk about, let's talk about former President Trump for a second and a matter that you have lived memory with when you were in the House of Representatives. President Trump's elected. One of his first legislative initiatives is to replace and repeal Obamacare. For whatever reasons, the former president has decided to jump back into that space, now many years removed. Tell my audience what you remember of that effort and how wise or unwise politically you think him talking about that now is or isn't. Well, I met uh, I met you know the Fonz. He's on a book tour now, and so I I. To great respect to him, I must use this phrase: Obamacare repeal has jumped to the shark. Um, you know, look when when I was elected in 2010, Obamacare had just passed; it was not implemented yet. And so the discussion among the us was like, let's repeal this law that is not in place yet and replace it with something more in line with kind of our free market approach to healthcare. Agree or disagree with that, the point is Obamacare had not been fully implemented. In fact, really hadn't even started to be implemented. As time went on, that became this like uh, litmus test for are you truly a conservative? And frankly, I mean, I'd go out major and talk to people in the base, the Republican base, that would have no idea anything about Obamacare except it had the word Obama on the front of it, and they wanted it gone because of that. So it starts getting implemented. People start using the provisions of Obamacare, and they still want it gone because they don't know the provisions that they're using is actually Obamacare. Again, it became a cultural, not a racial thing, but like a cultural significance of, are you a Republican or are you a Democrat? So the things that we went through when when President Trump won then, and that came to, frankly, to my committee on energy and commerce, I wasn't on the subcommittee, but I was on the broader committee. We went through a, a so a markup is when a committee basically meets and they put amendments on bills and argue and everything. I think we had the longest markup in history. It was something like 25 or eight yep. straight hours. It was painful. And, uh, and I think we actually produced a pretty good bill. Now, what happened is the Freedom Caucus for some reason decided that they wanted part of that bill to be that states could deny pre-existing condition protection to people. It was a pointless ad and it was heartless. So there was a fight about this. Rand Paul from the Senate ran over to the House, tried to tank this whole thing. So we acquiesced on that, I think, if I remember correctly. It went to the Senate then because our the, the view of the House Republicans was like, well, let's just get it done, kick it to the Senate, and then we'll conference this thing out of it in conference. But 
um, is remember it went over to the Senate. They stripped it down to almost nothing. They were going to yep. punt it back to us. I hope I'm not getting too in the weeds, but people need to remember this. And that's when McCain did his famous thumbs down. He wasn't voting against, per se, a new health care bill. He was voting against the semantics that Rand Paul was using to try to basically deny people pre-existing conditions. So that obviously failed spectacularly. And so my view is since then, look, Republicans had their shot. Again, I think there were some really good things in the health care bill, in our replacement bill. But we had our shot. And instead of ha- that happening, we failed to repeal the bill. And now I think Obamacare is here to stay. And we need to just continue to try to improve it because these are people's lives now at stake. I want to get your opinion on the various legal challenges the former president, that is to say, former President Trump, is confronting and whether or not you think the cases, I'll give them in order, are strong, not strong, valid, not valid. Let's start with the New York civil suit currently against the Trump organization. Do you think that is a valid exercise of the judiciary? Yeah, certainly. It's, uh, you know, that's on the civil side. It seems to be the one he cares most about for some reason. What does he ever? Yeah. And I think it's because it's, uh, let's just be, let's, uh, I'll try not to sound biased in how I say this. It's just, he is such a narcissist that the thing that matters to him most is this idea that he's a billionaire and that is at threat right now it, the the lies are being exposed and they could potentially take his whole branding away from him so i think that is a legitimate exercise and uh yeah he's he seems to be more angry about that than potentially facing time in jail the manhattan district attorney felony charges were linked to the hush money payments I, this one, I'm I, like, I think it's a legitimate exercise in law. I, I, I'm a little bummed that it went first because I think, you know. Do you think it poisoned the water? I do. I do. And I, I look, let's be clear. I think regardless of whether this went, they they being the Donald Trump folks would be trying to poison the water, the water anyway. And so we may be in the exact same spot, but it didn't help that this was the first. That the, When all the attention was focused on, the first time a pro- former president is arrested, it was for the hush money payment. I, I just I wish it had gone in different orders, at least. The classified documents case. Uh, this is an open and shut case, in my view. I think this this is a completely legitimate case. I mean, look, they gave the former president every opportunity to basically not be charged. I mean, for a year, the Department of Justice is like, dude, we know you have this stuff. Just give it to us. No big deal. You don't have a right to it. And at any point there, he could have done that. But for whatever reason, I don't know the reason. I suspect things. But for whatever reason, he didn't. And from everything I understand and in listening to legal experts, which I am not, this is about the most open and shut case that's humanly possible. The question on this is, timing because there's a lot of issues with you know who can look at the classified documents how do you do that there's a whole law uh, associated with that which may delay this case the special counsel's dc based case on overturning or attempting to overturn the 2020 election i think also a really strong case i think you know given what we were able to get on the january 6th committee and i think if we'd have just put our case in front of a jury there's a great chance we could have convicted the former president on that alone well, the special counsel has basically picked up where we left off. Like I know for a fact they wouldn't be investigating this without the committee. They picked up they were able to pick up kind of where we left off and they had different tools. You know, you can now use immunity, which we didn't use immunity because we didn't want to mess with a potential federal case. 
Um, I think it's going to be very strong. And this one, to me, even though they're all quite important, this is the most important. And, and the reason I say that is because, look, and, and I say this very seriously, we never want to be a country that throws the last administration in jail. You see that in failing democracies everywhere or so-called democracies. But we, even greater than that, cannot be a country that allows somebody to try a coup. And as long as they fail, it's okay. Because if they succeed, they've succeeded. If they fail, it's like, okay, well, eh, let's let it go. This this to me is the, is the case that will actually set the tone for how transitions of power happen from here, maybe for the next rest of the future history of America, in my mind. I was at a conference last week at the Baker Institute at Rice University in Houston, and a law professor there said this case, the D.C.-based special counsel case on election interference 2020, is the most important case in American history. Yeah, I would almost agree, because, I mean, I guess... You know, I, I as I try to rack my brain for case law or cases, again, not being a lawyer, I can't think of anything more important because the thing that has differentiated us, Major, between like a failing democracy or a banana republic or whatever, and this American like bulwark, this, this I don't know, this institution, this force of America and how we've done everything so well is that we have peaceful transitions of power. It's never a problem when somebody's in power because they have the levers of power. It's releasing those levers to somebody else. That was, as Liz Cheney says, and you know, that was threatened for the first time ever on January 6th of 2021. And, and, D, and you know DC well, and probably many of, of your listeners know DC very well. When you violate a standard, a norm, an expectation, it never comes back. You know, like when you when you change the rules on the Senate floor, for instance, you'll never go back to how they were. Like nothing changed. So when it became cool or hip or vogue to vote against certification of, of an election, not, not even talking about the actual insurrection, but just that alone, now every four years, the party that it lost that presidential election will be under pressure to vote against certification of a new president, particularly the Republicans. That's a dangerous thing. That puts us in a constitutional gray area that I don't know how we get out of. We have one more case to ask Adam Kinzinger about. We will do so on the other side of this break. Stay tuned for segment three of The Takeout in just one moment. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. 
Welcome back to The Takeout, continuing our conversation with Adam Kinzinger, his new book, Renegade. Uh, Adam, uh, the last case I want to run by you, the Fulton County RICO conspiracy case against the former president, many others. Of course, a couple of his attorneys have already notably become convicts in that case. They have pled guilty and agreed to cooperate there and in other jurisdictions. This is a very powerful case. It's a very well done case. It's very important because this is the one case that, well, I guess the maybe the hush money case is the same as well. But in this case, if the president, if Donald Trump runs and wins the presidency again, he can, and, and there's nothing that stops him as far as I understand, he can direct the Department of Justice to drop the case against him, any federal case. Or he could potentially pardon himself, which sets up a constitutional crisis. But honestly, I don't read anywhere in the Constitution that says a president can't pardon themselves. So this is now outside of that pardon uh, power, a state case. Now, of course, you run into a whole bunch of other things. Can a state governor or can a state arrest a president? You know, no. I mean, there's all this kind of stuff. But this is something that is out of the direct purview of what a potential future President Trump could do. Uh, not only that, you have plenty of guilty pleas right now, and this has produced, which is amazing to me, uh, and I'll explain why, this has produced tearful confessions of some of these folks that, you know, were, were leading the denial train. Jenna uh, Ellis is the Jenna name. Ellis, exactly. And And what was amazing to me, Major, is watching Jenna Ellis on one side of the screen tearfully and i believe legitimately tearfully i don't i don't mean that pejoratively tearfully admitting her role and her understanding of what went on while at the same time there was a race for speaker of the house where the new speaker the barrier to entry to become speaker of the house was did you vote against certification of the election if you voted for certification like tom emmer did for instance you weren't considered a serious candidate so that was the requirement to run for speaker while Jenna Ellis is tearfully admitting it was all a lie. Uh, that is something I cannot wrap my head around except to say that we live in some weird moment where the tribe is more important than the truth. And that's frightening to me. Talk to me about Speaker Mike Johnson and his role in what led up to January 6, 2021, from your vantage point. So Mike Johnson was always, I never knew him fairly well until January 6th or just prior to that. So there was this lawsuit that I guess Texas had signed on to or was leading to basically throw out the election. Was leading, yes. Was leading to throw out the election results of other states. And Mike Johnson led what was called an amicus brief. So basically he wanted these members of Congress to sign on to this brief, in essence, in support of Texas. He came up to me and asked me to sign on to it. And I just kind of laughed at him. I go, obviously, you don't know me very, very well, Mike, because I was the most outspoken against this at the time. And he kind of scurried away. Quick aside to that story. So the the list came out of who had signed on to that brief. And Kevin McCarthy's name wasn't on there. And in fact, the night before, he told Liz Cheney, I will not sign on to this Texas lawsuit. She's like, great, Kevin, because it's stupid. So that morning, the names come out, Kevin's not on there, and he sees like Twitter traffic, angry that Kevin's name isn't on there. And he puts out a statement that says his name was inadvertently left off, and his name was added that day. It goes to show how, how Kevin was. But Mike Johnson, every even though you didn't see his face, even though you didn't necessarily know who he was, 
any argument about January 6th that had a legal or constitutional tinge to it, I don't think there was any argument that could ever justify it, but anything that pretended to justify it was usually the handiwork of Mike Johnson as a constitutional lawyer. He was the one that was able to twist it. He's, you know, we'll see how he does on Ukraine in terms of like, because I think that's really one of the most important things. But uh, he certainly was one of the mental forces behind the attempt to overthrow the government on January 6th. What does it mean to you that he could be speaker when the House convenes after the next presidential election? I mean, it just I guess I'm not surprised about anything. And if it's him, like, I mean, look, let's say here's what people need to realize, too, when we go into this presidential election and, you know, there's talks of third parties and everything. And if you don't get to 270 electoral votes or like the attempt was on January 6th, if for whatever reason the votes aren't certified or counted, the rule is it then goes to the House to elect the president. And if you think about the power that a speaker could have or the, or somebody, you know, the vice president presiding over the Senate, what happens if they simply say the Constitution will allow the House to vote, the House will vote for Donald Trump because it's not based on the number of seats occupied in the House. It's based on states. So Wyoming has as much power as California. I, I don't know. I You know, if that technically follows the Constitution, will the Supreme Court step in and intervene? Probably not. And that's what's frightening about having somebody like a Mike Johnson as speaker, particularly during that time. There have been revelations because of inadvertent court document production related to Scott Perry, a member of the House of Representatives, who I believe was someone the select committee was curious about. What did you learn? And do you think Scott Perry is or should remain a member in good standing of the House of Representatives? Well, look, Major, I think a significant number of Republicans right now should not remain members in good standings of the House of Representatives because I'll just say this. We take an oath, but the oath isn't to our district. It's not to the 700,000 people we represent. The oath is to the Constitution. And so if every member of my district had called me on the phone and told me to vote against impeachment, for instance, that doesn't matter because my oath was not to them. And, and I think that's something to keep in mind and to remember. And I think there are so many Republicans in my mind that violated that oath that they have disqualified themselves from the position because it's it's only when you hold that oath dear that you actually can defend the institution of democracy and frankly self-governance with with scott perry he's somebody who is a true believer that the end justifies the means and the end to him the ends is the complete and utter destruction of the left of the liberal movement of progressivism of you know, anything outside of his brand of Christian nationalism. And so what we saw, the little bit we did saw was quite concerning with Scott Perry. Obviously, as this goes on, we learn more and more. He ignored the subpoena to come in and speak to his own institution. Um, But I definitely think Scott Perry is up there with Jim Jordan, up there with Mike Johnson, uh, and many of the others whose names, you know, are bantied about uh, with January 6th. Does it bother you, Adam Kinzinger, that George Santos has been expelled and Scott Perry hasn't? Or there isn't yeah, even a conversation know, about that? I are guess. Those, are those, are those, are, is that a valid comparison in any way? I, you know, it's weird because like, contrast? on the one hand, I'd say I'm glad Santos is out, obviously. I mean, look, I don't, I, I mean this kind of tongue in cheek, but like, 
at least try to launder the money that you're stealing. You know, George Santos just basically took a donor's check and then directly deposited it into his bank account, like make an effort at least. But, uh, you know, so he was, he was so obviously corrupt that it was, it was incredible. And uh, so, yeah, he, he deserved to go, but yeah, if I, if I was running the kind of ethics of the house of representatives, yeah, Scott Perry would have been gone far before him because George Santos, as terrible of a man truly that I believe he is, he's not a threat to the Constitution like somebody like Scott Perry is. You write about Elise Stefanik in the book Renegade. Oh. Oh. What do you what do you what do you have to say about her? Look, Elise is one of the smartest people I know. Elise came into the House of Representatives. I was excited when she came in because she came in as this new generation conservative who was going to tackle climate change, who was going to reach out to the middle and try to win the youth vote, right? This was something I was passionate about too. She seemed, I think, a little more modern on the issue of guns and like kind of this branding of conservatism that I think could have propelled true conservatism into the next generation. And the most surprising thing ever was her turning on a dime And it was all when she got a taste of fame by defending Donald Trump in, I think it was the first impeachment she made. And I think her her anger at that first time was legitimate. She was upset at Adam Schiff for something and some of the procedures and how this was going down. So she made a passionate speech. And of course, then Donald Trump praised her. And so did Twitter, the right on Twitter. And that changed her. Look, Major, I have seen this happen to so many people. And Donald Trump tried to do it to me where I met with him in the Oval Office and I was never a big Donald Trump guy and he knew it. And so I expected- Adam, hold, Adam I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up a cliffhanger for you and for me and for the Perfect. audience. You're in the Oval Office with Donald Trump to be continued in segment four. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to The Ticket, where we specialize in cliffhangers. Adam Kinzinger is in the Oval Office with Donald Trump. Go. Yeah, and so, you know, I'm talking about how so many people can kind of go in aggressive to Donald Trump and come out huge sycophants, Lindsey Graham, you know, those Lee Stefanik. When I came into the Oval Office, I expected, so this was right after his election and I did not endorse him. And I expected he was going to chew me out in front of everybody. And I'm like, look, he's the president. He can chew me out, whatever. And I show up and the first thing he says is you're great on television. He said that to me. And then he kept saying it over and over. You're great on television. You're great on television. And I got flattered, right? The president of the United States says I'm great on television. Well, you come to realize he's doing two things. He's trying to win you. 
He doesn't know why he hasn't won you. That's part of that narcissism. And, and he's letting you know he's watching. And I had to fight this too. The natural temptation when you know the most powerful man in the world knows who you are and is watching is to try to do things to please him. And so what you would see from like Elise Stefanik is she gets praise all of a sudden from Donald Trump. And she had been up to that point in that first impeachment kind of, you know, uh, antagonistic towards him. That felt good. It feels good to get welcomed into the tribe. It feels safe. And she just turned on a dime. That's one of the things I just, of all the things that I've seen happen in Congress, her turning is one of the most mysterious to me. In the book, you describe regrets about your first impeachment vote to support the president and not vote to impeach him. Why do you regret that? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a mix because I also re- I well recognize that had I voted to impeach him the first time, I would not have been around. I wouldn't have gotten reelected. I wouldn't have been around for January 6th. And I think that the role there was so important. But I think it's important to if you're going to come to the to the table with solutions and talk about what's gone wrong, it's, it's important to admit your own faults. Too many people don't. And I, the reason I voted against impeachment was the first time was cowardice. Right. It was I knew that I wouldn't win. I was looking desperately for a reason to vote no. And then Nancy Pelosi gave me not a reason to vote no, but a reason to say it was a reason to vote no. She kind of rushed it at the end and said, we want to get this done before the turn of the year. And I was like, well, on something so serious and important, we can't rush it. And that's why I'm voting no. It's funny. If you look at my statement from then, it's basically what he did was terrible, but we have more work to do and we haven't done it. So but I, you know, it was it was a cowardice move. Like I should have in defending the Constitution, I should have voted to impeach, like Mitt Romney did on one of the counts. Uh, but I didn't, and I'm I'm glad in the in the long run that I was there to fight for the January sixth stuff because I couldn't imagine, you know, Liz having to do it on her own. But uh, you know, at least she had company now. I want to ask you about a piece that appeared in the Washington Post, November thirtieth, written by Robert Kagan. Let me read to you the first paragraph. It's short. Let's stop the wishful thinking. There is a clear path to dictatorship in the United States, and it is getting shorter every day. 100%. Look, Robert Kagan's a smart guy. I know him. Um, I I would ask people this. If, if you are still skeptical that there is a way somebody like Donald Trump could become a dictator or could destroy democracy. I understand it because for 200 some years, with the exception of the Civil War, we've had a fairly strong democracy and we've never seen this. But think, ask yourself, what would stop this from happening? If your answer is, well, uh, the Supreme Court. Okay, it's a great answer. And the Supreme Court to this point and all the courts have actually been pretty good at upholding the constitution. Uh, even if you disagree with their, you know, micro policies on things like abortion. But who's going to enforce the Supreme Court decision? Like there is no Supreme Court police force. So if the president decides, if if Trump decides, for instance, he's just not going to follow it. Remember, he's the executive of the government. He executes the rulings of the Supreme Court. Um okay, well, what next? Well, the military? Okay. Well, first off, the president controls the military. The president is the commander in chief. But if for some reason the military decides that he's gone too far and decides whatever they're going to defend democracy, 
who's to say that every member of the military who takes an oath not to the military but to the Constitution will not misinterpret their role to the Constitution as defending Donald Trump? The point I'm making is everything that we think exists to defend democracy, that does exist to defend democracy, it, it all relies on one thing, this compact we have with each other that we're going to play by the same rules. The second you decide, you know, if the Cubs again play the Cardinals in baseball, the second the Cardinals decide that the referee calls or the, the umpire calls don't matter and that you actually go to third base and then back to home and that counts as a point and the home team person is going to put the put the scoreboard up at one point anyway, you don't have a game anymore and you can never get back to order. It's no different in politics. Even though I said referee for baseball. <laughs> <laughs> you shall be forgiven. <laughs> You write in the book, Renegade, uh, that the legal system is designed to work in increments. And when we were going through the various cases and your description of their uh, soundness, legitimacy, I wanted to ask you this. Do you think that the former president is being treated differently than any other defendant in this country would be treated? And by that, I don't mean worse. I mean easier. A hundred percent. Yeah. And look, I'm not outraged about it because there is there is the reality that he is the former president. There's I don't know. There's something to that. I I don't know if I could put words to it, but I mean, he's I, I can't imagine if I was in his situation, even as a former congressman, that I'd be allowed to go after a judge's wife, that I'd be allowed to go after witnesses in a case. You know, that I'd be allowed to threaten violence as publicly as he has. Um, I mean, think about this. You know, he's he's in essence going to be on trial for January 6th. And at a rally just a couple of weeks ago, he had the January 6th, quote unquote, political prisoners in D.C. singing the national anthem opening his rally. He's threatened. He says that General Mark Milley should be executed. I mean, any other defendant would have their mouth taped shut and thrown in jail. He is being treated better. He's being given a significant, I mean, he has a lot of laws like, you know, executive privilege. He can gum up the works in the courts about, even though he's doesn't have this executive privilege. Yeah, it's uh, truly, truly so. Recently at a rally, Trump supporters held up signs saying Biden attacks democracy. And with his rhetoric, the former president has now tried to say, oh, no, it's not me. It's the other side. If you got well, 45 this, seconds. This is this is Donald Trump's standard. I mean, think about China. He always talks about how weak Joe Biden is on China. I sat in the office with Donald Trump while he begged us to grant sanction relief to China ZTE Telecom because he made a personal plea to President Xi of China, and could we just do him this favor? That's weak on China. Anything that he puts on other people is usually what he himself is, so I think he recognizes it, and he tries to muddy the water by claiming that Joe Biden is the same thing. Well, there's no comparison in terms of who's a bigger threat to democracy. That is the voice of Adam Kinzinger. As I said, he needs no introduction. The book, Renegade. Stay tuned for your takeout outtake especial. That's next. We'll see you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car or a house. It's the four wheels that get you where you're going and the four walls that welcome you home. When you combine auto and home insurance with Amica, we'll help protect it all. And the more you cover, the more you can save. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Welcome to your takeout outtake especial. Adam Kinzinger is our special guest. His book is Renegade. It's about his life in politics. And there's a part of the book I want you to discuss with my audience, Adam. It's a letter you received from Karen Otto. Who is Karen Otto? And why did you spend so much time talking about that particular letter? And what do you think it indicated? So Karen Otto is my dad's cousin. Um, About one day out of 30, I would go down to see my parents. I lived about an hour and a half north when I was in Congress. And this one day I happened to go see my folks. And it just so happened that a certified letter, I didn't know people still sent those, showed up at my house. And it was from Karen Otto and 15 or 16 other names that were all Ottos or Kinzingers, you know, all related. And I opened it up thinking, you know, naively that it might be a letter of encouragement, right? It's your family. And uh, it opened up with, oh my, what a disappointment you are to us and to God. You're, you know, you're a member of the devil's army. You've lost the trust of great people like Sean Hannity. It actually said that. And, uh, and it was my family, my dad's cousins basically disowning me because of my view of Donald Trump. And it was filled with religious language, Christian nationalist language, this idea that Donald Trump is some, he gave the plan of salvation on TV just the other day. Well, my Carinato doesn't remember that he also has said he's never asked God for forgiveness, which is kind of the first part of the whole plan of salvation. And uh, so that was in, in, interesting to me. I tell that story like I, I have not made up with that side of the family, and uh, and I don't intend to. There's no reason to. I tell that story not to try to get sympathy, but because everybody has a similar story like that. Maybe you didn't get an official certified letter. Maybe it wasn't you know twinged with Christian nationalism, but you were at Thanksgiving dinner when Uncle So and So basically left early because somebody voted for Biden. Like this, this Trumpism is tearing families apart. And it's I, I bring that out so people can see how bad it is, because if, you know, Joe Blow down the street tries to put out what letter he was received, nobody pay attention. When I do, it's big news. It should be big news because it's just pure, utter. I call it manga brain worms. And it was it, it's sad. You also say in the book that Trumpists remind you or have similarities to Islamic fundamentalists. What yeah. do you mean? So look, let's look at what what is the Taliban, okay? The Taliban is a governing organization. They want to govern. They want to govern according to the principles of Sharia law. That's what their whole fight is over. You know, women can't go to school, all this stuff. What is it that these Christian nationalists like Marjorie Taylor Greene or whoever is trying to push? They want to govern. They want to govern according to biblical their biblical interpretation. Now, I'm a Christian major. Like I believe in Christian principles, but I also believe that this is a secular government. People of all different backgrounds and religions. And so 
Is there beheadings like the Taliban do? No. But what is the difference in terms of a fundamentalist view of ruling or governing through a religion? What's the difference between Christian nationalism and the Taliban besides those in-states? It's not much. It's the same thing. And it can grow. When you just look at Twitter or you look at whatever the latest social media is, and you see people talking about killing gay people or now Nazism's kind of back in vogue again somehow, uh, it goes to show that we may not be very far from this getting to an even darker spot. And when I hear you talk, Adam Kinzinger, I hear you describing things that are analogous, Trumpist, Islamic fundamentalism, in that they are both ferocious and righteous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, an interesting thing about fundamentalism is whether it's fundamentalist Christian, fundamentalist Muslim, fundamentalist Republican, fundamentalists hate more than they hate the opposition. So like more than a fundamental Muslim, you know, Islamic fundamentalist hates a Christian, they hate other Islam, uh, other Muslims that don't believe exactly like they do more. Um, Christian, and I was raised in a fundamentalist Christian church that I left. We spent more time talking about other Christian religions that weren't quote unquote true Christians than we did about anything else. Apostates. And Republicanism, why is it that I get labeled a rhino? Why is it that the, you know, the vast majority of, of, of effort that some Republicans put out is against me and Liz Cheney and not Democrats because they're fundamentalist Republicans. They are more offended by somebody that claims to be them that's not. That's fundamentalism no matter what kind of variety it has. The voice of Adam Kinzinger former member of the House of Representatives, prominent member of the Select Committee on January 6th, his book, Renegade. Adam, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Uh, It's been great. Good to see you. We'll see you, folks, next week. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.